Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad to hear that there are people out. When I left the house this morning, uh, the th thermostat in my car said it was six degrees. And I thought, wow, will anyone be in church today? So I'm really glad that you're here. You made the right decision. This is a good way to end 2017 and jump over into 2018. So uh, we're going to have a good time together in the Word. Why don't you open a Bible, if you have one with me, or turn it on uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, we'll be putting the passage that we're going to read up on the screen in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but I want to talk with you today about something that is uh, really uh, meaningful to me. I used to pastor in New York, and uh, one of my elders early on in the ministry there came and said, I have a prayer for us. And uh, the church wasn't that large or that strong. We had a lot going on behind the scenes. And he says, I want to pray Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And then he read through this prayer from the Apostle Paul. And I never forgot, every time to this day, to the moment that I'm standing before you reading this prayer, I remember that. Because it's such a powerful prayer. And it's a prayer the Apostle Paul had for some believers in a city called Ephesus, uh, 1,900 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago now, and it's still as relevant and powerful for us today as it was for them then. Uh, so I think what we're going to look at today is going to be pretty important, very meaningful to me. And it's basically three things that I think God wants us to see as we go into uh, 2018. And uh, I just want to say a special uh, hello to someone, if I can take this opportunity, because they're normally not here. I have my family here today. My mom and dad are here, and uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law are here, and I just want to say it's great to have you in our new home church. It's been two years, so it's glad to have you guys here. Um, so this is our new church family post-New York, and uh, so anyway, uh, it's a big church. We're still getting to know everybody. For those of you that don't know me, that's okay. I'm Jessica Cole's husband. My name is Eddie, so anyway, it's good to be with you, but Ephesians chapter 1 is our, our Bible passage for the morning, and uh, I want to read this prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying for these believers with you. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We praise you. We thank you that you would send your son to come and pay the price for our redemption. Thank you so much that this is still as real to us today 
as it was way back when Jesus walked the earth. I don't know how, except that it is your power. For as the Apostle Paul said, for it is, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone who believes. And so, Lord, I believe right now the reason this story is still changing our hearts and our minds and this world is because it's your good news. And so, Lord, I pray that the good news of Jesus Christ would be made more real to us today than it was when we came in. I pray, Lord, that when we walk out of here, we wouldn't talk about a song or a sermon. I do pray that we'd walk out of here like those disciples on the Emmaus Road after Jesus left them. And they said, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us. So come, Lord, speak to your people. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name and for his glory. Amen. How many of you have ever had a moment of forgetfulness? How many of you have ever gone on a rampage looking through your house for your car keys and they were right where you left them to begin with? You just forgot where you left them. They were there. What's worse, though, is when you forget where you left them and where you left them was in your pocket. Have you ever done that? I, was, I, I remember one time um, a friend of mine who I love dearly who I live with, I've been married to for 21 years, <laughs> was looking for her sunglasses, and they were on her head. I've had so many moments where I've gone through my house, I've gotten upset, I've, you know, somebody took it, somebody stole it, what happened? It was right where I left it, should have known to begin with. I've had this speech given to me so many times, uh, where did you leave it? I'm like, if I knew where I left it, that's where I would go look. But I have no idea. Have you had those moments? Of course you have. How many of you have a phone or a computer that has about 90% of the stuff on it? You have no idea how to work it or how to take advantage of it, but it's there. Yet, many of you who just raised your hand, you'll be dying to get the latest phone that's going to come out. Got to get the new phone, even if we don't know how to work what we had on the old phone. I'm like that. I don't have to have the new phone, but there is so much on my phone, on the devices that I have. I can't wait. My parents just got us one of those little miniatures, it's kind of like an Alexa, you know, that you talk to that does stuff for you. I, I can't wait till Jessica gets that out and, and sets it up so that I can use it. Because it's probably going to be a while if it's waiting on me to get it out and fix it. I'm just, I'm technologically challenged. These are just things. The, the reality is I have some things that I've lost that I'm sure one day will be recovered. I've forgotten about. I also have some things that I just don't take fully advantage of. They're there. They're mine. I can use them. I just, I don't take advantage of them. I haven't availed myself to everything that I have. I just want you to know that as that is true in the physical, it is true also in the spiritual. We can forget all that we have that God has given us through his son Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, through the church and his word. We can have everything that we need to face every challenge we're going to face. We have every blessing we could pray for 
We just happen to sometimes forget where it is. Now, this is not a new challenge. As a matter of fact, it's a really old challenge. There's a verse in Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 is a, is a kind of a word of prophecy because the people of Israel would do the same thing. They would forget that they had a God who was almighty and yet loved them and who was there for them. He had sent his prophets to speak to them, to give them his word and to, and to be his presence among them. And yet they would forget about that and they would map their own course and do their own things and sometimes forsake God altogether and go off after false gods and create false idols. And the word that Jeremiah the prophet gave to them from the Lord was, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and honed for themselves, dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says they've committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken him. He was with them. He's there. He's proven himself. They have his word. They have the covenants. They have everything. But they've forsaken him, and they have made their own plan. So see, this has been going on for thousands of years. God has a way, and yet we as people, it's in our human nature to make our own plan rather than follow God's plan. How many of you have ever done that? God has this plan, and I have my plan, and in my foolishness, sometime to this day, knowing the Word of God, I still somehow or another think that I can think my way, plan my way, work my way, power my way through some things. Is anybody else like that? Well, I want you to know the Ephesian believers were no different than us. They did live in a different time. It was not easy to be a Christian back then. The Ephesians uh, were people who had been led to the Lord, discipled by either the Apostle Paul or Timothy or that first set of pastors. You talk about people to be discipled by, that's that's your all-star cast right there. That's who you want to be discipled by. But the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to them while he's away from them because they need encouragement. It's not just encouragement, it's instruction. He's wanting them to live out God's plan for them. He knows that they, they need encouragement themselves because in truth, to be a Christian back in that day, it, there could be a cost to it. And it was getting worse in that day when Paul was writing this letter. To be a Christian could mean that you're essentially going to have to make a choice, either Jesus or your job, Jesus or your family, Jesus or your life. You, there, there, are, there were temperatures of persecution rising all over the world at that point. And, and the reality is, is that they had to make some pretty deliberate decisions to follow Jesus, even if it cost them something. So they needed some encouragement. Biggest thing they needed was to be reminded of what they had already been taught. Now, the reason I mentioned that the Apostle Paul and Timothy, these, this is, they were apostles. If you wanted to be discipled by anyone, this, these were the best crew to be discipled by. And yet, here we are a few years from Paul leaving them, and clearly they're needing to be reminded of what they already know. Maybe it's, it's like the keys or the glasses that. They have, they've just forgotten about. Or maybe it's just they need to go a little deeper. Who knows the, the entirety of the situation? But the Ephesian people are just like us, humans, 
living in a broken and a fallen world who sometimes needs someone to come along and say, don't forget. And as a matter of fact, here's what I'm praying for you. And Paul prays three things. And these three things are the three things that I want to speak with you about today. Three things that you must see with the eye of faith going into 2018. Number one, I want you to see the hope that is ours. The hope that is ours. The second thing that we're going to see is the value of our own soul to the Lord. And then the third thing that we'll see is the power of Christ in us. So let's consider the hope that is ours through Christ. Look with me at verse 18, first part of verse 18. The Apostle Paul is praying, and here's what he says he's praying specifically for. He's praying for people, by the way, who were believers, again, and he's, he knows they're believers not only because they, they have made a profession of faith and said, hey, I doctrinally agree with that, but because of the extension of love coming from them. He says, I thank God always because I've heard of your faith and your love for the saints. The surest sign of someone being a believer is not just a, a, an accurate doctrinal you know, statement. It's, it's what's the fruit of their life. And the, and the best fruit is love, love for people. So the Apostle Paul is, is writing to people who are believers, and they are fruitful believers. But he's saying to them, I know that your eyes are opened, because God has opened your eyes in the past. But he says in verse 18, he says, I'm praying for you that your eyes would be, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What he's praying for is that you would see everything that you could see. You see, the reality is we've all looked at pictures and, and then later on looked at the same picture and we've seen things we didn't see the first time. You could come into church and, and you can see what you see, but do you really see everything? You typically just see a little bit because you can't focus on everything. But you see, the reality is the Apostle Paul is not praying that their eyes would be open. Their eyes are already open. What he's praying is that they would see all that is there for them. I'm praying that you would see that the eyes of faith in you would be enlightened. And it would be enlightened to the hope that you have, this hope to which he has called you. And I want to just say that that is not a hope that's just a wishful thinking, like a Best wishes, you know, it's not just some bland hope, some amorphous thing that he's talking about. He's talking about a certain assurance in the Lord that he has regarding a promise for something in the future based on God's goodness and faithfulness to, to, to provide for in the past and in the present at that moment. He's saying, I want you to see. I want you to be filled with hope. I want you to be filled with assurance based on what God has done in the past, what he's doing right now. I want you to know that the things that he's given us, the promise, the inheritance that we have for the future, it is an anchored, solid, steady hope. The hope that you have should never, ever, ever be shaken. Why would we believe that? Look with me at verse 3 in Ephesians 1. Look a little bit earlier in the chapter. This would be a great place for you to either highlight as you're reading down through there. Just tap the screen 
and mark that so that you can remember that and send it to yourself and go back later or write in your Bible. Either way, count up the blessings that we're about to read together. All right? We're going to read some blessings. Here are some reasons that Paul's saying, I want you to see why we believe, why, why I'm praying that you would have the ability to see this, this hope. It's an unshakable hope that we have for the future. In verse 3, Ephesians 1, it's one big long sentence. If, if this were being written in, a, in an English class, when I was growing up, it would have had red ink all over it. Nowadays, there's no paper, so everything's just marked up other ways. But nevertheless, it would have had red ink because it's one long run-on sentence beginning in verse 3 all the way through verse 14. And by the way, verse 15 all the way through verse 23, with all the punctuation grammar marks that are in both of these, one long sentence, which tells me when the Apostle Paul is writing, he's not only inspired in the sense that God is moving him along by the Holy Spirit, he's inspired. Note the praise that just can't help but come out of the Apostle Paul as he's writing this. He starts it by saying, blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a blessing. He chose us. He chose me. I'm pretty amazed at that. Are you? Yeah? I'm amazed that my wife chose me. But as, as much grace as I require of her, I have required infinitely more grace with him. That he would choose me? Maybe some of you, but me? But Paul's saying the same thing. Paul says he, he chose us. Blessed be God. Why? Because he chose us before the foundation of the world. And you're talking about a God who knows the end from the beginning. He knows every single day and everything that's going to happen. And he chose us before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless before him. I don't feel holy and blameless. Do you? But it's not up to me. It's up to him. He will make me holy and blameless. Probably not this side. He's working on me, but he's got a lot of work in me. He's got a lot of work in you. You won't be perfectly holy. You won't be blameless this side of heaven. But you know what? The work's not finished until he says it's finished. And he will make us holy. He will make us blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. In love predestined, adopted through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, which means I was enslaved. I was locked up. I was in prison. There was something holding me back. It's not just I was bought, but that I was, I was bought, but something had to be done because I was imprisoned. I was chained I was chained. I was shackled in my sin. I was imprisoned. I was held captive by my own foolishness. I was, I, was, I was in need of a Savior. I needed someone to open the door. I needed someone to, to unlock the chains. I needed someone to bring me out. I needed someone to pay the penalty for me. And that's what it says he did. How did he do it? Verse 7, he did it through his blood. Wow. And how did he do that? What did he do with his blood? He offered forgiveness for our trespasses. 
And I'll tell you, this is amazing. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. How many of you use the word lavish very often? Not me. I, I almost never use the word lavish. I don't, I don't lavish myself in, in anything. But the Apostle Paul chooses, I believe, a word here that's adequate. It's, we, we have his grace, his forgiveness lavished upon us. It's not a forgiveness that says, I'm going to forgive you, but I won't forget. Watch it. You're on a short leash. <laughs> You're forgiven. He's lavished it on us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. In the Old Testament, they're looking, they're looking. In Israel, still today, there are people that are looking for a Messiah. But yeah, you and I, here we are sitting in America. Thank God in a, in a building where there's central heating and cooling. And we can say we've, we know the mystery of his will that from before the foundation of the world, his son was coming into the world at a certain time. We just celebrated his birth. And he's going to make himself known to us. And then he's going to show that his deliverance is not going to be a political, a geopolitical thing for about a little piece of land over in a part of the world. It's going to be a, a real kingdom that's going to be a universal kingdom. We're going to have a savior, a Messiah that will spiritually set us free. And we will be forever free. We've, made, we've had this known to us. And not because we're smarter than anyone. There are some smart people. I have to tell you, West Shore is one of the most educated churches that I've ever been in in my life. Being so close in proximity to Messiah College, so many school teachers. I think some of you probably just have a field day at my grammatical issues when I preach here. But nevertheless, I, I, I don't think any of us can say we're here because we're smarter than, or we're here because we're better than, we're morally superior to. We're here because in his goodness he made known to us the mystery of his will. He gave it to us. I'm going to move right on through. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have obtained an inheritance. There's that hope. There it is. We've got an inheritance ahead. And so that, verse 13, in him you also, here's how it came. We heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of our salvation. We believed in him. And when we did, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's the guarantee is that good news? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you became a Christian? You don't have don't don't answer out loud obviously. Have you had moments in your Christian life where you just knew God was with you? Have you had those times in your life where you just where you're reading the Bible and it's just like something it's not just that it jumps out, it's for you. It's not because you read a commentary and you learned a little piece of knowledge. It's like God just spoke to you. Maybe Pastor Trent was preaching or, or Nate. Maybe somebody else was giving something. I don't know. But you've had those moments where you're like out of everybody in the world, there was something that was bothering you, something you prayed about, and in that moment God spoke to you. Have you had those moments where, where in worship you could just close your eyes and you could just say, I know right now. 
I'm just, I know he's with me. Have you had those moments? I just want you to know that's because the Holy Spirit. That's because you have been given and I have been given the very presence of God in our lives. He's the one who makes all this real to us. If left unto ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. If left to ourselves, you know what we would be doing? We would be running our own direction. We would be making our own path. And in truth, we would be our own God. We would be running away from him. Why? Because we, we've got our own way. We want to make our own paths. We've got our own cisterns. We're moving this direction. But in reality, here's what God has done. While we were sinners, as he would go on to say in this, while we were even dead in our trespasses and sins, here's what God did. God sent his son into the world that he would run after us, that he would come, that he would find us, that he would arrest us, and that he would bring us home. And God would lavish his grace upon us. And so now this Jesus, that he, who either used to be just some far-off religious figure or someone we didn't know at all, this Jesus is now someone that we find the most incredible, compelling presence in our lives. We have to know him. There's nothing more glorious, nothing more powerful, and nothing you want more than Jesus. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit at work in you. That is him. And he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is the hope that the Apostle Paul is referring to. We have an inheritance that is ours and it is guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, I know it's not the habit of many of us in here. I'm Southern Baptist by background. Can you tell that? But a little amen every now and then goes a long way with me. And if you could give me a little something, that keeps me moving to that next point, which I'm doing whether you say amen or not. I went a little long in the first service, but uh, Trent's out of town, so nobody tell him, all right? I'll, and I'll get invited back. But I, I just want to say this is one of those times when the Apostle Paul's writing, he said, blessed be this God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus who bought all this for us. He set us free and he gave us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in me. He's the very presence of God working in me to make sure that I make it to the other side and then make sure that I will be holy and blameless before him. Everything that God wants me to be, everything that God wants you to be that you don't feel at all right now, you will be one day because it is his work. And this is why we praise him. This is why we worship him in spirit and in truth. What a, gr what a great amen. I'm going to amen your amen. I appreciate that. My wife and daughter get a kick out of me. Sometimes I'll be walking around the grocery store and I'll say, everybody needs some Fritos every now and then. Amen? <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> but nevertheless, I do say amen. And so let's move to our second thing. The Apostle Paul is praying for hope. But secondly, he's also praying that they would see the value of their soul to God. Verse 18b, the first, second part of the verse, he says that you might know that the eyes of your heart would open, that they would be enlightened rather, and that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This could be interpreted to mean that we have riches in us because we are just earthen vessels. 
we, we get sick, we, we decay, we die. But within us, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the gospel. We have truth. We have love. We have stuff that is eternal in us. So it could mean that. I personally, because of the context and grammar, believe it means something else. And this is an, an option. Either way, they're good. Here's the other option, and this is what I believe what he's saying. That as the Apostle Paul has just talked about the portion that we have in the Lord and in the gospel, he is our portion. I believe that right here the Apostle Paul is talking about God because of all that he has given us in himself. We are, in fact, his portion as well. So it's not just that he is my portion, it's that we are his portion. That's incredible. Think of those words. Think of the value of your soul to God that he would make you, that he would commit himself to you. How many of you require a little bit of patience, you think, with the Lord? Of course, I'm being goofy. We all know that we require the patience of the Lord. We require the patience of people that live around us, much less the patience of a holy God. What the Apostle Paul, I believe, is saying is that you need to know and you need to think about your value to the Lord. His, his riches in you, his glorious inheritance, that's, that's who you are. That's your very identity. That's that's how you need to see yourself. Boy, that'll, that'll do a lot for a broken down self-image. That God loves me. That God loves you. Think about it. Old Testament, Zephaniah 3. Are you still with me? Yeah? Zephaniah 3. In the Old Testament, even after God had delivered them, he had redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt, and he had been with them, uh, a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day and all this, they still forsook God. They still went their own way. They still did what they did. Ultimately, later on, they have prophets. God sends to them to speak his messages to them. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, God is speaking through his prophet to his people. And, and, and when he's speaking to them, the word comes that our God, he will rejoice over you with rejoicing. He will sing over you. He will bring you close to his heart. And the idea is that he's going to throw a party over you when you come home. God loves you. God loves his people. In, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 15, there are three parables in there. Many of you already know all three of them. One, it's the parable of the, if, if there's a shepherd out in the field and he loses one of his sheep and he has 99 that are with him and he has one lost, what does he do? He leaves the 99 to go for the one. He brings the one back. What does he do then? Throws a party. Then there's another parable. It's a lady in her house. She, for, she lost her sunglasses. Right? Just want to see if you were listening. She lost one coin out of ten, and she turns the whole house upside down. She's looking under every cushion. She's looking in the junk drawer. She's looking in every place she can. She's trying to find this coin. She finally finds it. What does she do when she finds the coin? She spins it. She throws a party. She brings the neighbors over. 
And the point of it is, the, is when the Lord says, and it's Jesus sharing the parables, he says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one of us who comes home. That's the value of your soul, my soul, before Almighty God. And then he gets down to the parable of the prodigal son, the one that runs off, and he takes all of his inheritance. There's that word again. He blows it. He blows it. He finally gets up the nerve to come home, and what does the dad do? He lifts up his robe, and he does the unthinkable. He runs toward his son. His son starts to, to, to give his prepared speech, and his dad just throws his arms around him. He just starts kissing him all over his face. Doesn't even give the boy a chance to share his little speech. Brings him home, and he says, kill the fatted calf. For my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. That's for you. That's for me. That's us. That's the value of a soul in the eyes of God. That's the glorious inheritance that God has in us, his saints. And the third and final thing is this. Paul wants them to see the power of Christ in us. Verse 19, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I'm not going to read everything there, but you, if you do, you can see he's talking about over, over sin, everything that takes us away from God, either in attitude or behavior. He's talking about every demonic, evil thing. He talks about rule, authority, power, dominion. All, above all them, there's power over that. There's power over governments. Thank God. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. He's put everything under his feet. He has exalted Christ to his right hand. And he says, I want you to know that the same power that has exalted Christ to such an exalted place is at work in you. It's the power of God. It's the power of God at work in you. How many of you would say 2017 was a rough year for you? You don't have to raise your hand. In some ways, I would say we can all say that. I just think this word is a fresh word for everybody who had a tough 2017. May God the Holy Spirit open our eyes of faith that we may have hope, certain assurance that we might know how much he loves us. Which means, even when we don't love ourselves, and we're wondering, are we really going to make it? It's not, based on, it's not based on our love for ourselves or our belief in our own ability to make it to the other side. I, I, people talk about the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the perseverance of the Savior. I persevere because he is persevering in me. And because I persevere, that, that just makes me never want to quit. We believers, we still live in a broken, fallen world. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended, he says, actually, it was right before the crucifixion, not right before the resurrection, or excuse me, the ascension. He says, you're going to have many troubles in this world. You're going to have many troubles. Those, those are the ones closest to him. If you and I live thinking that we're not going to have troubles, we're setting ourselves up for sure failure 
and frustration and confusion, we are going to have trouble. Amen? Happy New Year. <laughs> Feel better now? But the second part of this verse, John 16, he says, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Praise his holy name. So no matter what we're facing, may God open our eyes that we can have the ability to see all the hope that is ours, that we can see the riches that we have in being his inheritance, that he wants to bring us there. And that his power is at work in me. I've been through things this past year I never would have thought I would have made it through. I thought I would lose my salvation. I don't even believe I could lose my salvation, but I would if that happened. And can I tell you, at the end of the year, I've had a, in some ways, it's been a wonderful year. In some ways, it's been an incredibly difficult year. But my heart is so encouraged because I've spent the last two weeks praying for you, focusing on this passage, and my heart is filled with this belief that his power is at work in me and through me. And it's the same power that's at work in you and through you. So no matter what you go through, believe that. Now, I'm, I want to transition. Just a couple of minutes, we're going to close in worship. I want to say that this is, message is largely for you, right? This is largely for the individual, the way I've preached it. But it's for us as a people. It's for the church. And it's for us to be a light into the world. If you go on and read in Ephesians that. Paul continues this thought. He gets to Ephesians 2.10 and talks about the, work, the reason that we've been saved by this glorious grace, by this glorious God and given this glorious inheritance is because he has a glorious work for us to do. And so here's the idea. We have work to do. We have work to do going into 2018. The beautiful thing is we don't have to do it alone. And when we go in his power for his glory then we can see him do great and mighty things, which we do not know. I, I had the joy uh, a couple of weeks ago doing a work. I do some work with some churches um, that are doing social justice, racial reconciliation, things like this. And, and there was a church down in Birmingham, Alabama that had earned a terrible name because back uh, in its inception, it was a wonderful church. They were doing uh, integrated services when most of the South was still segregated. They had white people, black people worshiping together in the name of Jesus, and God was blessing that ministry. It was amazing. The pastor that started the church with that founding vision left. Things started to fall apart. Before you know it, Dr. Martin Luther King and about 30 of his men show up on the front porch of the church. When they show up on the front porch, the pastor and some of the elders meet them on the front porch, and they're not meeting them to welcome them. They show their, their guns. And turned them away. What a sad testimony. Well, that was the beginning. That's what they called a hinge moment. Things went downhill from there. And for decades, the church was just on hard times, almost having to close. It was terrible. Early 2000s, a new pastor comes in. 
And he doesn't know why all this stuff is so bad. He just knows God's given him a vision to go there. He's given him a passion to reach the community. And now it's no longer really just white people and black people. Now it's, it's uh, refugees. Now there are Asian immigrants. There are not just heterosexual people, the LGBT communities all over the place. This is a very diverse neighborhood. Birmingham, even though it's in the south, is a, it's a city. Like any city, it has those communities. And so it's there. The pastor's doing a lot of good work, but he feels like there's this invisible wall they can't break through. Essentially, he just has to pray. Make a long story short, he and the elders, they call a solemn assembly. They get the whole church together. They pray. They repent together for all the stuff they did in the past. Not only did they repent together, they wrote a letter. Put, they, they paid to have it published in two of the largest newspapers in Birmingham and put it out there publicly for everyone to see. We're sorry. This is not the spirit of Christ. They owned their flaws. They did this. They put it out there. They sought out businesses they had offended in the past. They sought to, to rebuild the testimony, not just of that local church, but of Christ and the witness in the community. And I, I am really happy to tell you that only a few years after they've been trying this kind of relaunch, the wind of the Spirit is moving mightily again in that church. So much so there is now, once again, there are black people, there are white people, there are immigrants. They have, multiple, they have services with multiple languages, and they even have a, an outreach to the homosexual community which is absolutely beautiful. And they had did an interview with one of the newspapers uh, and one of the, the reporters asked the question, aren't you part of this particular community? Why are you working with this church that you know doesn't believe? And, the, and the, the lady says to the reporter, we don't believe in their Jesus, but we can't deny their love. Is that powerful? That's the power of the gospel at work in people's lives. It's also the power of God at work in people's hearts when they stop thinking just about themselves, but about the brokenness in the community, the darkness in the community, and Christ wants to bring light into that community. That's why he has left us here. That's why we're not immediately transported into heaven, but we are here to be witnesses for him, and his power can do far more through us than we could ever do on our own. May God give us about 100 people in West Shore that would get a vision of what he wants to do in and through them this year. And may he set you free with the belief, like a child, that God will do what he says he will do. He has power over sin, over every demon, over every power. May we believe him for that once again. Amen? Would you stand with me? So we want to see the hope that is ours through Christ. We want to see his riches in us. We want to see his power. If you're discouraged, if you got beaten down in 2017, I understand. If you're sitting here right now and you're saying, man, I'm one of those people that I, I need a plan and I'm working with it. Let me tell you something. God didn't, God didn't call us with a plan. It's not about a plan. It's about a person. It's about him. The holy God. It's Jesus, his son, the Holy Spirit with us. 
It's a personal relationship. It's not a plan. Many of us in here, we're the high Ds, the DIs on the disc profiles. We're dominant. We need a plan. We need to go dot, 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 dot. And then if it doesn't work like that, we just fall apart. We're like, oh, I got it. So I got to get another plan. And then, and then plan B turns out to be no good plan either. And, and then you can find yourself in a complete mess. Can I just say your plan right now, your plan and mine should be this, to take all of our plans, not to say any of them should be completely let go of. Take all of our plans and all of our expectations and do what I used to show our youth when I was a youth pastor. Do like that. Let it go. Because your plan is not your God. Your goal is not your God. This relationship is not your God. That promotion, it's not your God. Let it all go. And then turn your hands over and say, Lord, you are my plan this year. Fill me with all that you want for me. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see all that you have for me. And help me to take my plans, Lord, and to do with them what you tell me to do with them. Help me to walk according to your power. Lord, you do with my life what you want me to do. I tell you, there won't be a person among us who, who's going to say, man, 2018 is easy. But we can't say that it's been blessed if we receive all that God has for us. That begins by receiving Christ. If you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it right now. Give your heart to Jesus. He's changed my life, and I know he can change yours. He's the one who can forgive He's the one that can give you a new beginning. Pray and give your heart to Christ. If you're here today and you're a believer but you're discouraged, can I just tell you, let it go. Think about how much he loves you. Think about what he's given you. Think about where your hopes are today. Let it go and then receive afresh all that he has for you. Amen. Everybody say amen loudly with me. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we close this service in worship and we ask right now that you would just breathe new life into every one of us so that we might glorify you in new and powerful ways in 2018. Lord Jesus, may we see you more clearly than we ever have before. High and lifted up. And may we glorify you more clearly and more powerfully than we ever have before. And let that begin right now as we sing back to you. Our praise in Jesus' name, amen.